So what does it all mean? What does that video mean? Okay, so I showed that video because it is about our mission here at uh, Missio Day. So our mission is Christ community culture. And if you saw the trippy circles flying around everywhere, what I'm trying to say is that our mission, Christ community and culture, they are kind of interwoven into each other. And that's why you saw those circles and you saw the, the diamonds and you saw the, the stars <laughs> um, inside of there. So one way of saying it is our mission, Christ community culture, is integrated, intertwined, interwoven, indivisible, interchangeable, interconnected, mingled together, mixed together, knit together, attached together, depended upon each other and hooked up between the three of them, right? It's a Trinitarian thing. They're all on top of each other. That's why you see Christ, the one first circle, overlaid by community, overlaid by culture. And so here's what I want to do. For the next three weeks, as we're entering into a new school year, I just want to dial up our passion for what we're about and who we are and where we're going. So today I want to talk about our mission, and I want to specifically want to focus on, on Christ. Um, but before I do, I need to unpack just kind of a little bit of where we are and, and who we are. So when I began to plant churches, um, and before I planted a church, I kind of put together a vision and a mission of what, what I wanted us to look like, what I wanted us to be. And a lot of it came from my frustration from my experience in churches all my life. Um, I read a book that said, vision comes from discontentment. When, when you see something that needs to be changed, that's whenever you begin to find ways to change it. And I had a lot of friends, and I've been, I've done, I've been in full-time ministry for about 18-plus years. I had a lot of pastor friends and, and, and associates who I would talk to, and we all had the same problems. And here's, and here's the deal. We all believed that um, within our church experience, we weren't really experiencing community. Um, and I know that you understand this because I've heard all of you say, yeah, we, we, we never really experienced community in church. I grew up in church all my life. I, I did Bible studies. I had mentors. But I never really experienced authentic, uncommon kind of community. The other thing we'd always complain about, and, and, and I sat on mission boards. I sat on an evangelism council. I taught an evangelism class called Evangelism Explosion. Um, and, and still within, within those groups, uh, the, the, my pastor associate friends, would, we'd always kind of bemoan that we just aren't on mission. We're, we're preaching mission. We're, we're preaching evangelism. We have an evangelism class. Three people show up. Our, our church doesn't have a vision for mission. We're not reaching people who are far from God. So I wanted to create a church that was extremely simple, Three circles, Christ, community, and culture. Christ, because it's all about Jesus. And believe it or not, I've sat in lots of churches where you hear a 45-minute sermon and you hear nothing about Jesus. He's maybe a footnote. You know, Jesus said, and then moving right along to how you need to try harder, do better, and be gooder. But community, I really wanted to, Facebook is sort of this picture of the community that people long for. And I learned as I was studying this Trinitarian circle thing that God is community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, they live in a community and he created us in his image. So we all desperately long for community. So it made sense to say whatever we do with our church, communities needs to be the center source of it. And then last but not least, we got to have a church planting movement that keeps in our DNA this passion for reaching people who are far from Christ. And my assumption, my, my, my desire is that every single person in our church would be at the center of those three circles, meaning we were all operating on three cylinders, that you have to have Christ, you have to have community, and you have to have culture. For me personally, I, I would like to 
to, to, to submit to you tonight that in order to be a true disciple, a true um, fully functioning follower of Jesus, we should be at the center of that where we have a passionate relationship with Christ, an intimate relationship with others, the body of Christ, and we have an outflow of our mission in our culture, whatever that looks like. And so here's a question. Can you have Christ, an intimate relationship with Christ, and then not have intimate community in the body or not have mission into the culture? Um, there, there are essentially two answers to that question. The first answer is yes, and the second answer is no, and one of those answers is right. But I had to mention the wrong one because it's evidently true, isn't it? The wrong one would be yes. Yes, you can have a relationship with Christ, but not have outflow into mission. Yes, you can have a relationship with Christ, but not have intimacy in the body of Christ. Because clearly, there are hundreds and thousands of Christians today who do. Am I right? Hundreds and thousands of Christians who go to church, they understand the gospel, they've professed Christ as their Lord and Savior, they probably even read the Bible, and yet they're not experiencing authentic community. I know this is true because I think all of you have told me that's been your scenario. It's been mine. Or they know Jesus, they sit in church, they have friends, they may even go to Bible studies, but they're not engaged in some sort of missional, you know, missional way in their culture. So it, it, it is evidently true that it's happening. So yes, it does happen. But I would like to submit that no, it can't. And I guess the difference depends on how you define those three terms, how you define Christ and how you define community, and how you define culture. And if you define them the way I define them, then you can't have a relationship with Christ and then not have mission. You just can't. And I'm going to show you why tonight. And you can't have a relationship with Christ and not be engaged in community. You just can't. I'll show you why tonight. Are you ready? So let me give you an outline of my sermon. Listen to this quote. Mission is not merely an activity of the church. Rather, mission is the result of God's initiative, rooted in God's purpose to restore and heal creation. I just want you to know this is a very powerful sentence or two, and I want to unpack them. I, I divided them up into three different sections um, for this purpose. The first section in blue there is mission is not merely an activity of the church. That is kind of presenting the problem, okay? The problem historically is that the church for the last hundred years has thought about mission as an activity of the church. In other words, we're a church, and our primary purpose is to gather in the weekend, worship Jesus, Get some training from the Bible. Put your kids in the class. Put your ladies in the class. Put your men in the class. Put your youth in the class. Everyone gets what they need. And then, oh, by the way, we also have a mission trip coming up in July. Or, or we have a food pantry service project you can happen once a month in, in, you know, in, in the summer. And so the church historically has seen mission as an activity. That's the problem. The solution is in red. Rather, comma, mission is the result of God's initiative. In other words, stop thinking of mission as an activity. Think of mission as God. And if you're worshiping God, then you're in mission. You're a missionary. <laughs> no Christian, please hear me say this, no Christian is not a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, then by nature of the definition of who Christ is, you are sent by Christ on mission. And then that solution is rooted in, or the key to solving it, is rooted in God's purpose to restore and heal creation, which is just a very fancy way of saying the gospel. 
In other words, the, the problem is the church thinks mission is an activity that we can do once a month. Um, the, the solution is to understand the mission of God, which is his initiative. And the key to understanding that is recognizing that God's purpose is to restore the entire world. That's the gospel. So that's kind of the outline of my message tonight. I want to just spend real briefly talking about the problem. I want to spend another brief sentence talking about what the Missio Dei is and how it solves the problem. And then I want to spend the rest of the time talking about the gospel or Christ and how I define the first part of our mission, which is Christ, in that Christ community culture. Okay, so here we go. Let's talk about the problem. I'm going to share some deep, heavy quotes with you tonight. I hope I don't lose you, but I'll try to be entertaining at the same time. I read this quote this week. A growing number of people are leaving the institutional church for a new reason. They're not leaving because they have lost faith. They are leaving the church to preserve their faith. Raise your hand if you resonate in any way with that quote. Okay. Raise your hand if that quote doesn't surprise you any. Like you're not, oh, I can't believe you read that quote. Okay, because it's kind of true, isn't it? And I shared this quote because it really kind of over-explains what I want to say the problem is. The problem is America used to be a Christian nation. Uh, we called it Christodom, which means that we came to this country to kind of establish a Christian nation in God we trust. Christianity became the assumed religion of the West, meaning a majority, a vast majority of Americans were to some degree Christian. And I put quotes around that because it was kind of assumed that everyone was a Christian. So it would be very easy to talk about Jesus. It would be very easy to talk about your church. It would be expected for you to be at church on Sunday morning. You would know all the hymns. It is well with my soul. Everyone knew these things. You could make a church joke. Everyone would get it because everyone had been to church at least once in their life, right? But today, we live in what missiologists and sociologists call post-Christendom. It's after-Christendom. It's, it's post-Christian country. So Christianity is not the assumed religion of the West any longer. We live in a non-Christian culture. Not only that, but even Christians... Don't go to church, this quote says, because they, why? Because they're leaving the church to preserve their faith. Because in their heart and in their mind, they're feeling that the church has missed something. The church isn't providing what they need. The church isn't, is, is, is off. That's a problem. Would you all agree that's a problem? <laughs> it's a good reason to plant churches that have a solution to that problem. But that also could be a bigger problem. Let me explain why. God's mission is calling and sending us to be a missionary church in our own societies. That is, in the cultures in which we find ourselves. Every single person in this room is in a culture, and your culture is different than mine. I'll explain that later. These cultures are no longer Christian, <laughs> right? Your workplace used to be assumed Christian, perhaps, but now it's the opposite. Starbucks is not anywhere near Christian, right? <laughs> These cultures are no longer Christian. Some would argue they never really were. Even in Christendom, they weren't. It was just polite to pretend like you knew what Christianity was about. Now, however, listen to this. The character as a mission field is so obvious as to need no demonstration. I don't really need to spend any more time explaining to you how Christianity is not the assumed religion of the West and how we live in a mission field. Raise your hand if you agree we live in a really dark mission field. Non-Christians have a wall up about church and Christianity, and Christians do too. <laughs> We live in a really, really dark mission field. And so the issue for the church today is its fateful response to this challenge. In other words, we have to make a response to this challenge, and it could be fateful. If we don't make the right response, we will die. Church Christianity will die in America. A lot of people, you know, look at Europe and say, it's where we're going, and, you know, it's where we're going. It would be dead. Christianity would be like 1%, 2%. 
So the issue for the church is how we're going to respond to the problem. And listen to this last sentence. But that is also its problem, the church's problem. Why? Because Guter goes on to explain, because the church has responded wrongly. Let me tell you how the church has responded. In America, because we're American, this is what we do. We see a problem. If you got a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out my hook because my DJ rules all, right, right? If we see a problem, we try to figure out. That was a vanilla ice, by the way. Um, if we have a problem, we try to find a solution and fix it. And the church in America has seen this problem for the past. I mean, when I was in college, I was reading books about the church that was going to be in decline. And so how did we respond to this problem? The way the church always responds to this problem is always the same way. We give it a facelift. We say, okay, look, we were losing people. The church is in decline. Let's give ourselves a facelift. And that includes making our building a little different, making it more attractive on the outside. Let's make the worship experience more comfortable. Maybe we'll have some hipper music, you know, and we'll get some cooler, nicer um, worship leaders, guys who wear skinny jeans, you know. And let's make our pastor a little hipper too, you know. Give him some wide glasses and give him some, uh, you know, canvas shoes, spiky hair. Spiky hair. And then now, now we've given it a facelift, and now church is relevant, because we look like the culture. And unfortunately, and we're cool now. And unfortunately, what this has done is two things. It works for a time. And then also, it doesn't work in the end. Most non-Christians will say, you think you're cool, but you're so not. And most Christians say, this is far worse than it was. I would rather sing hymns and get on my knees and worship Jesus than show up and watch some guy in skinny jeans dance around the stage. I'm just, I'm just being honest. So what the church has always done is kind of given it a facelift and it doesn't fix the problem. It actually makes it worse. And here's why. Because a lot of times they'll grow. This is, and I'm not just making this up. I've read this in books, okay? A lot of times, though, which could not be true, but I think they are. A lot of times those churches will grow. But what we'll see happening is the other churches will shrink and die. And so all the little churches die and the big churches get bigger. Because what happens is those guys say, well, that church gets it. That church speaks my language. That church plays secular music during worship. And so let's go to that. And then they go to that church, and then these churches kind of dwindle, and this church gets bigger, and then what happens is 20 years go by, and we can need a new facelift again. And it all just, it's called transfer growth. And what, 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 the reason why that's a problem is because now everyone's in one spot instead of being spread out across a bunch of little spots being on mission, and it's, it's dangerous. It has taken us a decade, Guter goes on to say, to realize, or decades, to realize that mission is not just a program of the church. It defines the church as God's sent people. Listen to this. Either we are defined by mission. Either we are defined by mission, which is why I named our church Missio Day, so we'd be forced to be defined by mission. Either, it's, either it goes like this. Church equals mission. If that's not how you're defined, then, listen to this, we reduce the scope of the gospel and the mandate of the church. Let me explain what I think he means there. If we don't make church mission, then we take the gospel, which is about creation and about reconciling the world to Christ, we take the gospel and we reduce the scope of it to be about you. It's about you and Jesus. You need to get saved so you can get Jesus and then your life will be all pretty and then you'll come look like us and join our Bible studies and maybe go on a mission trip in July. That's what we do. Come and be like us. Jesus will save you, and then you'll look like us. We reduce the scope to be about individual salvations instead of about changing the entire creation, which is God's ultimate dream. So thus, our challenge today is to move from church with mission to church as mission, or church missional, missional church. So what's the solution to the problem? 
I think it, we need a complete brain trip. <laughs> Stare at that long enough and you'll get one. <laughs> we need a complete paradigm shift. And I, can I just be honest with you? I'm, I'm living, breathing, um, sleeping, um, church planting, and Missio Day. And I find myself often not as shifted as I think I am. Like, the, 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 my, my mind hasn't flipped as well as it should. I'm still stuck in an attractional church model when I'm trying really hard to change the paradigm and be missional model. Very difficult for me. You can call me out on it when I mess up, because I do. I do. I still think attractionally. I like pretty things. I want to attract people to us. Uh, so we got to be, got to completely paradigm, our, shift our paradigm. And we do that by understanding the Missio Dei. Um, Missio Dei is a Latin term. Uh, it, it sometimes is translated the mission of God. Makes sense. Day means God. Missio sounds like mission. But literally, if you translate it from Latin, it means the sending of God. Because every time there's a mission, there's a sending, right? If, this, if, if you're sent on a mission, it's because you're sent. Here's your mission, should you choose to accept, you know, and you're sent to go on that mission. And so uh, literally, the theological term means the sending of God, and God's always ascending God, always. He, he created the earth, and he sent yeah, Adam and Eve, he sent Abraham, he sent to a new land, he sent Moses to save his people, he sent Ezekiel, he sent Isaiah, he sent all the prophets, he sent his son into the world. And then Jesus turns and says, as the Father sent me, I send my Holy Spirit to you so that then I can send you into all the ends of the earth to be a part of my gospel program. And so God's always sending. And so Missio Dei literally means the sending of God. And we call ourselves Missio Dei because we need to weave into our DNA and, and shift our paradigm to no longer think about, come to us, attract, I want to attract you. Look at our facelift. We have a cool, you know, worship pastor. We have a cool youth pastor. Come. But to be out, sending out. And in other words, stop thinking centripically. Start thinking centrifically, Okay. Do you know what that means? Centripetal means um, it's a circle spinning, and whenever you flush the toilet, it goes into the middle, right? That's a centripetal force. There was a country singer who says, centripetal, oh, let's kiss. Kiss the kiss song, you know, come closer, Jimmy, get in the circle. Remember that? Is that Taylor Swift or Shania, Shania Twain? Come on. I mean, <laughs> country singers. <laughs> centripetal is the opposite. You spin it, and it goes out from the circle. So we should stop thinking centripetal. Hey, y'all, come on in here. To being, we're going out there. So here's a solution. Um, those with a missional perspective no longer see the church service. Can I just say that that language is even kind of confusing? Come to our church service where we can serve you. We can dish out some music that you might like. Nice little sermon to feed you. Cookies, coffee. People who are, have a missional perspective no longer see the church as a primary connecting point for those outside the church. Did you hear that? No longer is it about you inviting people here. Now, don't use that as an excuse not to invite people here. I still would like for you to. We do need to grow. We do need people to come here. In the end, our hope is that they would come alongside of us in our community and worship Jesus with us. But it's not, hey, you know what? You should come to my church because we have a cool youth pastor and a cool singer and a cool you know, dancer and all that. You should, that's not what we're really up to. We're really up to something else. Here it is. The missional church is more concerned about sending the people in the church out among the people of the world rather than getting the people of the world in among the people of the church. <laughs> This is a paradigm shift because for centuries, you know, Baptists are known for preaching the gospel every Sunday in church. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. I think it's good. I preach the gospel, I think, here. 
But part of the reason why is because the goal was, go bring your friends, and I will convert them. (laughs) You bring them here, and I will share the gospel with them, and then we'll go to the next step after that. Trust me. (laughs) Instead, the new paradigm is, I'm not asking you to bring your friends here. I'm asking you to get out and be missional and reach people and bear some fruit. And what if that happened? What if every single person in this room bore one fruit? You could do the math. It would be awesome. And not only would it be awesome, it would be better, wouldn't it? Priesthood of all believers, we're all working in this thing together. This quote goes on. Some have described this missional attractional distinction, right? Instead of attracting them to you, go to them, as a challenge to go and be as opposed to come and see. (laughs) You know how when you're an artist, if you're an artist, you see someone else's art and you immediately have a critical eye. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, they mix those two colors. You're not supposed to mix those two colors. You know what I'm talking about? One summer I did roofing. I was a roofer all summer. And, it, and I was plagued all summer because I'd drive around looking at everyone's roofs. And you notice mistakes. You're like, oh, look what they did to that cap. Oh, man, that, car, that house is going to get flooded next winter. You know? You, you start to notice things. Well, because I'm a yeah, church pastor... And I'm constantly writing things on our website, on Facebook, making brochures and flyers and posters and things. I constantly catch other people's flyers and posters and flyers and things. And I get burned up. It makes me mad when I see things that say, come, come grow with us. That's a common one. You'll see that a lot. Come grow with us. Um, Join us for fellowship at 530 in the fellowship hall. Join us. Come with us. Join us. <laughs> be honest with you, I have a hard time thinking of a different, you know, way to start that sentence. Join, nope. We are having, oh, man, it's still the same thing. Really, you know what I mean? How do you make this non-attractional and more missional? It's hard. It's almost impossible. But we often think, we can't not think, come, be a part of our group. As opposed to, no, 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 I need to stop coming, inviting people to come, and I need to go. It's, it's a paradigm shift. You see how it's difficult for me. I know it's going to be difficult for you. Furthermore, the process of extract I like this. The process of extracting people from the culture and then assimilating them into the church diminishes their ability to speak to those outside. So not only is me saying you bring your friends here a bad idea because it's better for you to go get them and minister to them yourself. But it also is a bad idea because once you get them and you bring them in here and we have that narrowed scope of the gospel where we get them saved and make them look just like us, now they have no influence of the people out there and now I've got to tell them, get on out the door. You see the difference? In fact, statistically, it is proven that Christians, after three short years of being a Christian, lose all their outside Christian, non-Christian friends. They get saved, they separate themselves from the world, they hunker down, listen to Christian music, read their Bible, and the next thing you know, wait a minute, I don't know anything about culture anymore. I don't have any friends outside the door. Isn't it true? So, enough of the problem and the solution. Let's talk about us. Can you have Christ, but then not be involved in community and culture? Tonight, I just want to focus on Christ. It depends on what you mean by Christ. Mike, what do you mean when you say Christ at the beginning of our mission statement? Well, I'll tell you. I mean three things. First, I mean Jesus. (laughs) Obviously, (laughs) right? Christ means Jesus. Secondly, I mean gospel. Because Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel, so I mean proclaiming good news. And then thirdly, I mean missional, because Jesus is the sent one, and he causes us to be sent, and we have to be, in a sense, Jesus to the world today. And so, by Christ, I want our church to be Jesus people, gospel people, and missional people. Let's, let me start by saying this. A scholar once said this. If you want to build a ship... 
Don't summon people to buy wood, prepare tools, distribute jobs, and organize the work. Rather, teach people the yearning for the wide, boundless ocean. I want to build a ship. <laughs> and if you want to build a ship, don't say, hey, get some wood. Hey, get some tools. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right? Don't do that. Instead, just get people's heart to yearn for the ocean, and you, will be, you won't be able to stop them. They'll be like, here's my tools. Here's my wood. Here's my, here's my expertise. Let's get this thing. Let's get on the water. In the same way, I want to plant a church. I want to plant lots of churches. And my job is not to say, hey, hey, come. It's not my job. My job is to actually really get us all on fire for the, and, and in love with Jesus. And then you'll be like, Mike, wake up. It's four in the morning. We got work to do. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me get my hair ready. You know what I mean? That's what it would be like, wouldn't it? Let's see what Jesus people look like. Here's a verse, Acts chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, these are some authoritative Roman leaders who are looking at Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common fishermen, they were astonished. That's a big word, right? Astonished. If I saw something and said, man, he walked in the door and I was astonished. That's a big deal. They saw Peter and John. They knew that they were uneducated. They knew that they were common fishermen and they were astonished. What? And here's what they said. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The first thing that I would like for our church, Missio Day, is that people would recognize that we had been with Jesus. Look at those guys. Something's different about them. Jesus' people also means this, John chapter 15. Um, Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So the second thing I think what I mean by Christ is that we have a connection with him. And Jesus kind of illustrates it in a kind of a creepy way. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. You're stuck to me. You're, in, you're inside, you know, we're, we're kind of like melded together in a way, or grafted together, so that I provide you nutrients, and they come out of the branch, and then if you're connected to me, then you'll produce leaves, fruit. But if you're not connected to me, you won't. Not only that, but you'll die, is what he goes on to say in that passage. So in order for us to be, I think, known as those who are, have been with Christ, we need to kind of be abiding in. That word abiding means a constancy. We are in Christ. In an intimate um, Greek word is perichoristus. We are inside of Christ in a way. It's pretty passionate, pretty powerful. Don't you think? Can you have that kind of relationship with Christ and then not be in a, in a community, a body of Christ, and then not be on mission? I think it'd be hard for you to have that kind of abidingness in Christ and then not bear fruit, <laughs> which would include being on mission. Then lastly, Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might raise out of that death and walk in newness of life. So we die with Christ. We are united with Christ. We are one with him in his death so that we can become one with him in his life and have a new life. Theologically speaking, we would say this is oneness with Christ or unity with Christ. So here's a question. I just shared three verses. One of them said we are with Christ, right? They had been with Christ. The other one says we abide in Christ. We are inside of Christ on a constant 
with a constancy, and the other one is we have oneness or unity with Christ. And again, I would submit that if there's a believer who has that kind of relationship with Christ, it would be impossible for him not to be involved in community, which is also called the body of Christ, and it would be impossible for him not to have an outsource flow of mission. You can't hang with Jesus who constantly says, go, 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 and not hear Jesus say, go, right? You can't. You can't spend enough time with him and, and, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Has Jesus given you a mission, given you a purpose, you know, to be involved in your culture? Well, not yet. I think he's waiting. I don't think so. <laughs> I could show you literally where he tells everyone to go constantly. So here's, here's what I want to do now. I know this is going to shake things up a bit. But, and you have to understand my um, multiple personality. Uh, I'm the guy that always preaches. It's not about trying harder, doing better, and being gooder. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then at this point, it almost, I know you're convicted. You should, you better be, okay? Um, I'm convicted, and the last thing I want to do is, so, is ask this question. How can you try harder and do better and be gooder at abiding in Christ? Because I think that would not be any different than what you've heard probably before in your life, and it didn't change anything. So instead what I want to do, it, but, but then again, I do have to ask that question, right? I do have to ask that question in the sense of what do we as a church need to do? Because if we really were amazed and in awe for the yearning of Christ, we would build a ship and float on the water tomorrow. I want to just catch us on fire for Christ. I want a revival in our own hearts, in my heart. And so I do want to ask the question, but I don't want you to actually think about it in terms of answering it. <laughs> and I don't want you to think about it in terms of discussing it with your, with your peers. I want you to think about it in terms of discussing it with Christ. So I've got the communion at your table tonight, and Dan's going to lead us in a slow song. And what I'd like for you to do at this time, all of us, is to just take the next three minutes and answer this question amongst yourself and Jesus. In other words, close your eyes, pray, take communion, and say, Lord, what patterns need to change in my life in order for me to better foster these spiritual formations? That is, for me to be the kind of, persons that, the kind of person that folks would say, he has been with Christ. Or, or for me to abide in such a way that there's fruit, and I see that fruit, and I can measure that fruit. Or for me to be one with you in death and in newness of life, the old is gone. Because I know that all, if you're like me, then, then I know this is true, there's still oldness of life that needs to get older, right? <laughs> needs to get gone. And so let's pray about that over the next three minutes. All right, so the first thing about Christ is Jesus. <laughs> when I say that I want our church to be about Christ, community, culture, the first thing is I want us to be Jesus people. But the second thing is, is I want us to be gospel people, um, which means I want us to, to love the gospel and know the gospel and eat and drink and sleep and breathe the gospel, that everything we do is gospel-centered. We talk about grace and mercy and, and, and forgiveness and freedom and good news and love and power. It is the power of the gospel that changes lives. Um, Guter says the gospel is Jesus himself. The New Testament Gospels narrate the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the action of God that both reveals God's passion for the world and achieve, achieves God's purpose for that world. So when we talk about Christ, yeah, we want a relationship with Jesus, but also that Jesus is the gospel. So we really must be gospel people, gospel-centered. Earlier I, I mentioned this quote to you before, and I mentioned how the Missio Dei is rooted in God's purpose to restore and heal creation, which means that the gospel, the good news, is more than just good news for you. 
Good news, you're not going to hell. <laughs> good news, your sins have been washed away. But it's actually good news for the creation. When God created the world, he had a purpose for it, and it's lost. It's been lost, and his purposes still is to reconcile and recreate and heal the entire creation. That means trees and flowers and, and businesses and homes and families and addictions and all of those things. He's healing. It's not just saving us from our sins and not just saving us to heaven, but he's actually healing our bodies and healing this creation. And, and we get that theologically primarily from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We just read that in Romans, actually. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us also the ministry of reconciliation. What's that? Well, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So when, G when, when God sent Jesus to the earth, he sent him with the purpose, and it wasn't just to die on the cross so that we don't have sin and we get to go to heaven, but he sent him to the earth to reconcile or to bring back into his original plan to recreate and, and, and heal the entire world. And I don't know if you know this or not, some people don't, but the end plan is that God's going to come down and set up shop here on earth, and he's going to reign and rule and be in charge over all things. And it's not just about going to heaven, but it's about one day Jesus being king of the world for real. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, with that being stated, we're gospel people who are about bringing good news everywhere. Not just good news that you need Jesus in order to not go to hell, but good news that Jesus can solve your marriage problem. Jesus can solve your addiction problem. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can heal your cancer. He can. Jesus can take care of your needs. Jesus can take care of you financially. Jesus is going to take care of global warming. It's true. It's all about the creation and all about everything. We're gospel people. We're good news people. We bring good news. Hey, think about this this week. How can I bring good news where I, where I, where I roll? You all roll in different places, different circles. How can I bring good news to that place? Maybe wake up every morning and say, today I'm going to be a good news person, good news people. I want to bring some good news to people who probably have a lot of bad news. They probably heard a lot of bad news on the way to work. <laughs> they listen to the radio, right? All right, last but not least, because I'm rambling, um, missional. We're Jesus people, we're gospel people, and we're missional people. Let me explain to you why I say that. In the Gospel of John alone, just take that for instance, over 40 times we read about Jesus being sent. He was sent into the wilderness. He was sent to Capernaum. He was sent to the people of Israel. We read this over and over again. And this sending of Christ climaxes at the end of his life when Jesus himself sees himself as not just the one who was sent, but also the one who is sending. And he says this, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And so this is why I believe that the answer to that original question is no. You cannot have an abiding relationship with Christ and not be sent into mission because Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. Go. As the Father sent me, you are, you are alive and breathing today because you have a mission, and I'm sending you on that mission. So you can't have an intimate relationship with Christ and then not be on mission. Well, these circles are interconnected. Some scholars call this incarnational ministry. Um, we are incarnational people. And I need to unpack this because it's kind of right now that word is going to getting divided amongst scholars who debate. Um, the incarnation is about Jesus becoming man. Think about this real quick. Jesus was God. He was deity. And then he became a human being. 
incarnation comes from the Latin word carne, which means flesh. You know, you like carnitas? I do. So flesh. Jesus was made flesh, and he, John says, dwelt among us. So, so incarnational people take that example and say, if God wants to minister to the world by coming into the world and dwelling and living in the world, then clearly he is sending us, as, he, as the Father sent me, so I send you, he's sending us to live in the world and dwell in the world and in a sense, in a real sense, be the in, in, in incarnation, be Christ-like to our family, to our neighbors, to our friends. Um, it's often mentioned that Eugene Peterson, when he wrote the message, he, he highlights this in John 1 when he says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And Alan Hirsch, he's, a, he's also a big Missio Dei guy. He says, think about that for a second. The God of the universe who created everything all of a sudden took up residence and moved into a small little suburb called Nazareth and lived there for 30 years and no one noticed. God moved into your neighborhood, and you didn't notice? And he says, I think maybe we should think about that for a little bit, in the sense that we don't have to move into our neighborhood and invite people to church, but we can move into the neighborhood and just be. Jesus was like them. He dressed like them. He wore their shoes. If he lived today, he would have a ride, right? He would drive, and so he would be just like us, and so in a, in a real way, Jesus is calling us to be like him. He's sending us into a neighborhood so that we can be the good news, the gospel, Christ-like, incarnated in, in our neighborhood. Um, it is no accident that the church is called the body of Christ. We've been made the body of Christ. This is expression means the church always takes particular form shaped according to the cultural and historical context in which it lives. We are church, and we take a form in which we kind of live in the neighborhood, and we bless this neighborhood, and we bless these communities. You can't have an intimate relationship with Christ and not do it because you are, once Christ comes inside of you, you have Christ living in you, and you are, in a sense, not the incarnation. Don't want to minimize that magical thing, but you are, in many ways, an ambassador, a representative of Christ in your neighborhood. So we are missional people. Missional churches see their primary function as one of actively moving into a community to embody and enflesh the word, deed, and life of Jesus into every nook and cranny. We must incarnate the gospel. We must make the good news visible. All of us live in different cultures, right? Some, some of us in this room, we work, we work maybe at a business office, right? That's a completely different culture than someone who works in a warehouse, and the business office, you know, they're sitting over a cup of coffee. They're, they're talking about numbers and facts and figures and sales. And it's going to be real hard to say, Jesus, in the middle of that conversation, right? So you've got to figure out how to incarnate the gospel there. And it's going to look different for you. How do you do that with your, with your tie? You've got to do it in a special way. Then don't be cheesy. Just don't wear a tie that has Ephesians 3 written on it or something. You know what I mean? You've got to somehow incarnate good news in the business world. But if you're a construction worker... You're hammering all day and cursing every once in a while. <laughs> how are you, you know what I mean? You hit your thumb. Oh, yeah. How are you going to incarnate the gospel in that place? You have to think about it. If you're a school teacher, you're teaching kids all day, but then also you have staff meetings and you're in uh, uh, lunch rooms and you have teachers and they have tears, right? And they have frustrations. And in some way, uh, uh, I know a little bit about this because my wife's told me stories because she's a school teacher. In some way you can, and you, and you really can incarnate the gospel to people who don't know the good news, you're a homeschool mom. It's a different scenario, isn't it? 
Uh, most of the people that you roll with are already Christians. <laughs> but still, how can you incarnate a missional you know, gospel to people that they, they look at you and say, there's something about you. It's different. You don't just go to church and sing songs. You actually have been with Jesus. And you're, you're on some sort of magical mission bus that I want to get on, you know? Some of you don't have jobs. I'm not being me. I'm just saying it's true, right? It doesn't mean that you're out. You still have to think, how can I incarnate the gospel in my non-job? <laughs> go to Starbucks. Go to the bar. I don't care. Go golfing. Go, go, play, go jump on a sports team. In some way, find a place in which you can be incarnated into that world. So every single one of us have a culture, and you are specially, uniquely chosen by God and placed in that culture to incarnate the gospel there. And if you did, what do you do now? Do you invite him to church? Uh, as I'll talk about next week, as we look at Christ, community, and culture, I would say no. My, my ultimate vision, even though this is counterproductive in some ways, my ultimate vision is to say, invite him into community. <laughs>